Would you stand and join me? We're going to read the scriptures together. They're printed on the screen. This is Mark, the first chapter, verse 14 and 15. Join me. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And this from the opening of the book of Acts, the first three verses. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. It says the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. If the dead could come back and talk with us, what kind of things would they want to tell us? I really don't have any idea, so I have to count on Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore to figure that out for me. If you remember the old movie Ghost, Patrick Swayze's character, of course, is trying to reach out through a medium back from the dead to warn his beloved of danger that she is walking into. Or maybe we could actually go to the scriptures. There's a parable in Luke where Jesus talks about a rich man who died and thought he was on his way to the pearly gates, but instead found himself the other direction. And he found that he was there because he ignored the poor in his midst. And so what he wanted to do was strike a bargain. He said, would you let me contact my wealthy brothers so they don't make the same mistake I made? If the dead could talk back to us, would they talk about appropriate use of resources or or would they talk about worrying about things that maybe we really didn't need to worry about would they assure us that it really is all right would they talk to us about maybe investing more time in relationships that matter i don't know there's really only one case i know for certain where somebody came back from the dead and communicated a message and that's in the book of acts here's the story jesus died Jesus rose again three days later, and then for 40 days before he ascended into heaven, he's with his disciples. And we're told that he basically does two things. First of all, he convinces them that it's really him, and through many proofs and signs, he lets them know, it's me, I'm Jesus, I'm back from the dead. And the rest of the time, apparently, he taught them about one subject, one subject alone, the kingdom of God. Now, that may surprise you. That Jesus would talk so much in these 40 last days, this kind of do-over with his best friends he gets before he ascends to heaven. But it doesn't really surprise me. Because the number one message that Jesus had while he was on this earth was about the kingdom of God. Anybody know what number two was? It wasn't faith. It wasn't love. It was money. Don't we feel good? We hit them both this morning. But the kingdom of God, his main subject, this most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at it in Matthew 5-7, through 7, is simply an, extend, an extended discussion about what life is like in the kingdom of God. And the most pivotal verse in that uh, three-chapter sermon comes when he's trying to tell his disciples and crowd not to worry. And he said, don't worry about this stuff. And he gives them this advice, seek first the kingdom of God and everything will get added to you. Many of his, his parables start with a phrase something like this, the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like and then he goes and he tells a story. His number one favorite subject. 
His disciples one day said, teach us to pray. So he said, okay. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. No surprise. His favorite topic, the kingdom of God. Now, I want to just let you know uh, that if you look in Matthew, you're not going to hear him talk about kingdom of God. He's going to use the word kingdom of heaven. And the easiest way to understand this is that Matthew was a gospel, it seems to, it seems to scholars, written to a largely Jewish audience, maybe Jews who had already become Christian, encouraging them, or Jews considering following Christ and, uh, and inviting them. But either way, it's very um, uh, careful not to offend Jewish sensibilities. And very devout Jews were careful about the use of God's name. So one of the substitutes they had for God's name is, is instead of kingdom of God, they would substitute heaven. But it wasn't about some unearthly place far away. When they talk about kingdom of heaven, they mean kingdom of of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Simply defined, it is whenever and wherever God is reigning, where God's will is carried out. Let's go back to that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the kingdom of God, the, that God's will will be done on the earth. And when that happens, that's called kingdom. Now, what's interesting to me and what I want to talk with you about just a few minutes this morning is how, for the last few centuries, Christians have gotten the location all mixed up. And we thought Jesus was talking about some galaxy in a far, far way at another time. And, and we put the kingdom to some heavenly, unearthly realm when Jesus quite intentionally was talking about life here on earth. We changed the whole locus of the operation of God and make it and made it um, uh, someplace far away and not where we live and some time that's far off. Look at the way we talk to people. Well, if you'll just believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven. If you die tonight, you'll go to heaven. Very rarely did Jesus talk about going to heaven. Jesus talked about heaven coming here to earth and that is the kingdom of God. And somehow we treat the earth as if it's insignificant. Well, now that I'm saved, I can you know, just kill time until I can blow this popsicle stand and get to heaven where I belong. That was not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus thought that the place where God was operating was here on earth. Let's go back. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth. Where? Earth. I thought it was some future time, someplace far away. Well, Jesus never thought that. Why is it our message became about leaving earth and abandoning earth, the earth that God so loved that the Father sent Jesus? Here's a question. Are you familiar with the Left Behind books or the movie? People kind of blow this popsicle stand, get out of here, and let everybody else still here rot? Can millions of people who bought a book be wrong? Yes. Or at least slightly off. For Jesus always thought the place where God was working was right here, right now. And the question is why? Why does Jesus think it's so important to work on this earth? And the answer actually is because the earth's a mess. It's a mess. We got disease. We have illness. We have poverty. We have broken relationships. We have families that at Thanksgiving and Christmas act like they're at war. We got issues. 
big issues. And we've had them for a long time. Uh, did anybody, do you remember about a decade ago, John Stewart, Late Night with John Stewart, the, uh, who hosted that show for so many years, went back to his alma mater at William & Mary. They asked him to give the commencement address, and it's a pretty short address. You can look it up on the Internet. But my favorite part is this. He said, I have a confession to make, he says to the graduates. The world is a mess. It's messed up. It's broken. And he said, and furthermore, we broke it. My generation broke it, he said. So if you could do like anything at all to fix it, he said to the graduates, then maybe you'll become the next greatest generation. Well, Stuart is right. But he's wrong. He's right. The world's a mess. And it's broken. And we don't have to look far to see evidence of that. But like Billy Joel reminded old-timers like me years ago, we didn't start the fire. It's been burning a long time. Go back to the garden. Adam turned and Eve turned on each other, on the serpent, on creation, on God, and the whole thing. Heads downhill, so it's no surprise that the first children are at war with each other and Cain kills Abel. The world gets so bad that God says, I can't stand it anymore. And a flood comes. And then God said, I don't want to do that again. Starts over. And this time they build a tower in Babel so they can be God and displace God and kick God off the throne. That doesn't work so good. So finally God calls a person named Abraham and said, I'm going to start a family. A family to work with me to fix this thing and get this world right. And then Moses comes along and he said, I don't need just a family. I need a nation that will work with me and partner with me on getting this world operating the way that I intended, the way it was in the garden before it all went south. And when you talk about the process of partnering with God to fix the world and make it the way God intends, that's called kingdom of God. Now, there are other phrases for it. One of the phrases the rabbis used to use was shalom. Now, I don't know about you, but in Texas, we kind of use shalom like either howdy or, or peace. But it's bigger than that. Shalom, said the ancient rabbis in Jesus' day, is when everything in the universe works in harmony exactly as God intended. Nobody's sick. Nobody's poor. The refugee camps are empty. Everything flows as God intends. That. Shalom. Now, later on, and perhaps uh, uh, Ryan or Michael or Daryl has, has used this with you, the, the Jews come up with a phrase, some centuries later, later they call tikkun alom. And, and, the pic, and the word means, basically means to fix something that's broken. And the image is, imagine like we had this beautiful stained glass, and it crashed to the ground, and each of us had a piece to pick up and piece back together with the other pieces so it would shine in beauty as it was originally intended. When this world shines in its original beauty as God intended, the kingdom will have come in fullness. And we will have accomplished the mission that God has given us. But until then, we're working with God to set the world back in order, to help heaven come to earth, and that's the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus came, because that is his father's business. Interesting in Galilee, if you were raised uh, and, and uh, you were male, basically your occupation was whatever your father did. So if your father was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. The better phrase is probably stonemason or, or crafts, craftsperson of, of some kind. But, but that's what Joseph did, so that's what Jesus did. But there's more to it than that. When, when Jesus is a young boy and he's 12 years old, they say, what are you doing in the temple? And he said, I'm about my father's business. And the business is clear. 
The business is the kingdom of God, putting this earth right. And that's what Jesus thought he was doing. He was fixing the world. And as children of God, that's what we're to do. And I'm really glad, you know, uh, when I was growing up in high school, a lot of my friends got summer jobs with their parents' firms, you know. Their parents owned a business and they ran errands or they made deliveries or they did filing or whatever. I was out of luck. My dad was the obstetrician. Yeah, nothing for me to do in that office in high school. Uh, But we're in luck. This family business is something any of us can do to partner with God and making the world as God intended. And the rabbis taught, and Jesus would have known this, that God actually sort of left space in creation. And if you're missing Michael this morning, that's what he's talking about now in the hall, that God sort of left some space for us to create with God. Beautiful story, real quick in Exodus. Uh, people are enslaved, and so they try to escape, and the Egyptians chase them, and they get, and God defeats them because they all drown in the Red Sea, right? Next time, after they pass through that, they get chased by these other nasty people, the Amalekites. But this time, God says, you fight them. And so when Moses holds up his, his uh, hands, they win the battle. If they go down, they lose. But, but they have to do some of the fighting. And then when they get on the, uh, the mountain, God says, I'm going to give you ten of these laws. I'll handwrite them myself, ten commandments. They get broken because Moses sees that uh, because the golden calf, they've broken their agreement. And then second time around, God said to Moses, all right. Ten of these, only this time, you write them. You copy them down. And then lastly, when they're on the mountain, God covers them with this beautiful cloud. And then later, for a third of the book of Exodus, it's bizarre, but a third of it is directions about building a tent. God says, all right, now you build the next cloud. The movement is clear. God works, but in our response, we get to partner with God, and the world is different. So how can we do that? Just two quick suggestions this morning. First thing is there's something really big you can do to join the kingdom of God, and that is resign your own kingdom. Abdicate. Step down. Kingdom of David is no longer functioning. I'm out. Jesus, you're in. You want to know what it means to claim Jesus as Savior is that Jesus has, not, has rescued you from sin, but has also invited you into this operation to rescue the world from its sin. And to be Lord is to say, well, I can't do it if I'm calling the shots. Only if you call the shots. So that's the first big thing. Second thing is a little thing, and that is find your peace. Find your little glass, your sliver that you're putting back in this beautiful stained glass that God has given us that we call creation, including all of its inhabitants like you and me. Jesus told parables about the kingdom and he rarely said anything about how mighty and how strong and how it will come in such thunderous power unless he meant the day of the Lord. The rest of the time he talked about mustard seeds and tiny things and small starts that sprouted to become bigger. The big thing you do is to say, God... I now resign as boss of the universe. You can have your rightful position. The small thing is, is then you find your peace in the world to cooperate with God. And you might ask, well, where is that peace for me? I'm so glad you asked. Because next week, 
when you finish worshiping here in the atrium, we will be having something that our missions pastor Ryan Jacobson has put together. We call it a mission fair. And it will be an opportunity for you to look at a number of different ways and places where people are finding their part of piecing this world back together in partnership with God. And you'll be able to join in that effort. Years ago, they were building a great cathedral in Europe, and there were three guys working on stones. And so they asked the first guy, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm busting rocks. They asked the second guy, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm shaping a rock to be used in that building over there. They asked the third guy, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. That's what you're doing, no matter how small, no matter how difficult, no matter how even maybe unnoticed. You are helping God build something beautiful. And for whatever reasons, Jesus comes to teach that God will not build it without our help. God will not build alone. Pray with me. We bless you, Father, for loving us, for calling us sons and daughters of beauty and worth. But now we ask that we might take the gifts that you've given us and join you in your family business. It is in your son's name we ask this. Amen. To what the Lord has said.
as we close and get ready to join God in the moving and partnering in the bringing of the kingdom of the world, I want to make a brief announcement. I'd like to ask uh, Chris and Matt, or if they're here. Oh, here they come. Uh, about a year ago, a number of us under leadership of the uh, head of our church board, Jeff Work, and a consultant out of Houston started talking about how can we more effectively partner with God in bringing heaven to earth through this church. And so one of the things that we came up with was sort of a division about the way we think about what our staff is doing. And just because you work with the staff and they get to work with you, I want to let you know that the division we've come up with is to take the financial and um, physical resources of our facilities and put them under the stewardship of uh, Chris DeSabato. And then the staff, the non-pastoral staff, put them under the leadership and guidance of our our new executive pastor, Matt Scott. And then Matt will also help coordinate uh, me and Michael and uh, Dinah and Donna so that we can be more free to be about the mission of the church. This is a beautiful church, a wonderful family with so much that God has given us and so much to do. And I'm pleased to invite your prayer for uh, Pastor Matt and Chris as they help lead us into the future. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Michael's here. So he's going to join me and we're going to bring them. It's basketball season because Duke lost in football. So um, we're going to bring them to the jump circle. And would you come join me and just lay hands on these two servants and we'll pray and we'll pray as we leave. Gracious and loving Father, I thank you for these, your servants. I thank you for Chris and for Matt and the way that you gifted them with uh, not only a passion for your kingdom, but supernatural abilities to help lead in your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that these sons in your house will be leaders in your church and that you will fill them to the top with your Holy Spirit and that your spirit will pour out to a hungry and thirsty world waiting to be pieced back together in you. So bless them, Lord. Bless those they love and those who love them. This we ask in your son's name. And as we go from here, we go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.